Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today on this episode of Sales Lead Dog, I have joining me Parker Benthan, Chief Revenue Officer of Brondell. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog, Parker. All right. Thanks for having me, Chris. I appreciate it. So tell me a little bit about your role as CRO in uh, Brondell. Yeah, so uh, the Chief Revenue Officer, like you said, um, at Brondell. And uh, Brondell is the bathe, breathe, drink, flush company. Um, we handle all of your essentials. So we create happier people, a uh, healthier planet. Um, so it's better for everybody. Um, we started out as a better bathroom company. So um, we're, uh, we got started in electronic bidet toilet seats, bringing those to the North American market. That's what we're still most known for today. Um, but since then, we've added different categories. Um, we added water filtration, uh, air purification, um, and shower filtration, and uh, most notably here recently with the acquisition of Nebia, uh, we're introducing water savings uh, showerhead technology that we're really excited about. That's a fairly crowded space, isn't it? So you have to be fairly brave to, as an entrepreneur to go say, hey, you know what? We're going to go into this market. What's yes, so like? Yeah, there's there's a, a duality, especially for shower heads. There's a duality too. It is a bit of a crowded space. It's also a bit of an old boys club, mm -hmm. and so we believe the duality of that is, you know, good old boys club, kind of a big moat. But also, if you come with something fresh and new and exciting, you can really carve a, a, some space for yourself. And we do have, you know, patented new technology that just doesn't exist um, other than with us in the world today. So we're excited about that. Being able to save water in that showering without uh, compromising on experience. So people essentially experiencing saving water without it seeming like they're even doing it. We believe it's the future of showering. Oh, yeah. I'm in Colorado and water conservation is huge. Um, you know, that uh, um, as it is, I think, in a lot of parts of our country and the world. Yeah. Um, so that there's definitely, I think, I personally like it when uh, people have the guts to say, hey, this is a pretty well established, like you said, there's a big moat around this market. I'd love, like, let's go after that. You know, the world be, deserves something better. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's what we're trying to deliver. So. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. So did you want to be a salesperson when you were thinking, trying to figure out what you wanted to do with your life? Um, I don't know if a lot of, I mean, maybe some salespeople are like, yes, I, I this is what I always wanted to do. Um, I personally never wanted to be a salesperson. And I joke that uh, at Brondell, we've built uh, a sales function, a, a department of salespeople who uh, hate salespeople. <laughs> um, so we, we're bringing a different experience through the sales process. Um, but I do remember even my mom saying at a very young age, she did think that I would probably be a super sales person as a young kid <laughs> bouncing around little parties and stuff like that. But um so I guess it's in my DNA, but uh, I, I I didn't necessarily want uh, to go this direction. I found myself in it. Yeah. 
So you did start out your career in sales. What led that transition into sales? Yeah, so I do have a, a circumnavigating kind of a, a um, career. Um, I very early, you know, I think like a lot of people, you know, I was able to get some jobs. They were sales positions. I found out that they were those entry level sales positions are pretty uh, terrible for, for me personally. Right. I didn't have a great experience, although I will say. I do still draw on some of those experiences to inform, um, you know, how I manage and develop people today so that they don't replicate some of those terrible experiences that I had when I was coming in. Um, so I actually left sales um, and went to um, the buy side of things. Um, and I was actually a construction purchaser um, for a while. Um, I parlayed that into being a project manager for a private equity company. Um, and we were uh, buying distressed real estate at the time. Um, and then uh, real estate imploded. <laughs> so um, I navigated my way uh, you know, from that over to um, uh, consulting. And so I was in a boutique consulting company. We moved IT contractors around the world. And I was uh, responsible for the global business. So everything outside of the United States. Um, and that was really interesting, bringing some of that buy side and project management experience to that, you know, consultative, which then ended up being very much, uh, a lot of people maybe not think of uh, consulting as sales, but it very much is sales. You're selling your uh, concepts, philosophies, strategies. Um, and so I really believe all of that came together for my role here at Brondell, where I took that being on the buy side of the table so that when I'm selling, I can understand that side, um, you know, project management and seeing, um, you know, product development and being part of that whole process and, and delivering it to the market and then bringing my, you know, my sales experience and some of that strategy and what I uh, learned even in consulting and kind of layering that in there. So um, I may have a little bit different of an approach or perspective than maybe uh, the typical person as a result. You've been at Brundell for quite a while, which I think is pretty unusual. Um, usually CROs, um, you know, they're not typically at a firm as long as you've been at, at uh, Brundell. Tell me about that growth in your various roles towards this, you know, what drove that progression to CRO? Yeah, so um, my experience at Brondell, um, I've definitely uh, grown um, with the company and helped the company to grow. And so that's definitely been a symbiotic uh, relationship. Um, when I started with the company, it was actually only five employees. Um, and one of the reasons I took the leap from consulting over to this kind of small, quote unquote, startup, it was kind of a restartup because it had had some growth and then it had sort of fallen on some challenging times. And then I was brought in to uh, build the sales and, and help build back the uh, build the company back up, and um, and it was really because of the people who are involved in the company that really allowed me um, the confidence to make that leap. And so uh, the gentleman who runs the business on the day to day, who is still the president today, and has been with the company for I believe sixteen or eighteen years, so he's been with the company a while as well. Steve Shear, he was actually the fourth employee at Craigslist. So he actually worked with Craig wow. in Craig's apartment when Craigslist was just San Francisco. And uh, Steve was the operations guy that helped scale Craigslist to a number of the markets that they're in, in today. 
Um, and then the founder of Brondell, um, Dave Samuel, um, is an internet entrepreneur. Um, he started Spinner.com, which was one of the few people uh, streaming music uh, back in the day of Napster. Yep. Um, but he monetized his business, so he was able to sell his business where Napster got crushed by the government. Um, and so Dave runs a, a VC, uh, Freestyle Capital now today. And so a very unique kind of group of people. Um, because of Dave's past experiences, he's friends uh, friendly with Mark Cuban. So Mark Cuban is an investor advisor with the company as well. And I thought, man, I really want to work with these people, right? Yeah. I don't know about bidet seats so much, <laughs> which, hey, I, I trusted that these people had a, a proven track record of identifying the future and, and pulling it into today. And that has been my experience with Brondell. So I do believe that the people um, that are involved with the company have enabled me to stay for the long run. And so, um, you know, we're many multiples of those five people uh, than we were, uh, you know, 12, 13 years ago. Um, and just that growth, um, you know, first getting into our first retailer um, and then the second and third and fourth. And now today we're you know, in store with Home Depot, Lowe's, uh, Walmart. Um, we've been in and out with Costco as, you know, they, re, uh, you know, turn their inventory. Um, and we expanded into uh, Canada. So there's been just a lot of growth, which has provided a long runway um, and has kept me highly engaged and very excited. And today, 12, 13 years later, I'm still just as excited about our runway and our growth opportunities forward as I have been looking back in, in, the, in the past over the last decade or so. Yeah. Do you have a philosophy or theme, so to speak, in terms of how you like to lead in your role as CRO? Yeah, uh, most definitely. And we've built um, the sales function at Brondell um, very differently than a lot of organizations. And um, one of the key tenets, um, you know, that I lead with is this idea of, you know, shoulder to shoulder. Um, we have open collaboration instead of open competition. Um, you know, what I had found out uh, in, in my past and what I didn't uh, especially appreciate uh, was pitting salespeople against each other. And that is one way to get people to fight, you know, up and get, you know, good performance out of them. Um, but I, uh, I played soccer, uh, played collegiate, played one semi-pro year and thought I don't, I'm not quite good enough. So, um, but soccer really fosters this idea of like this team, uh, you know, uh, mentality. And so uh, I sought to build the sales organization within Brondell um, with that same mentality of coming shoulder to shoulder instead of facing off against one another. So if we have a, a problem, um, we're facing a challenge, um, we don't put the challenge between us and then face off because inevitably you lose sight of what the problem is and then the person becomes the issue. But instead it's about repositioning yourself shoulder to shoulder. You're working together with each other and you're tackling problems. And the thing that is out in front that you're working on is, is the issue, is the challenge. It's never the person because we're together. Um, so whether that's my you know, junior account manager uh, my vice president of sales um, or my strategic account manager. Doesn't matter. Uh, we come shoulder to shoulder and we work together. Um, I want idea meritocracy. I want people um, to come with deeply held convictions, um, but hold their ideas loosely. 
And so then that way we can all fight for the best ideas to win and not just my idea or I'm fighting against somebody for their idea. But again, if we all come shoulder to shoulder, we know we're all working for the greater good of uh, the organization and we can keep that idea meritocracy true um, and, and equal. So that's awesome. How do you manage accountability when you're shoulder to shoulder? So that's a great question um, because uh, you could say, well, we're all we all did this. And so uh, therefore, it's all of our fault. No one's accountable. Uh, who cares? <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, there is some of it that um, the buck stops with me. Um, but I would also say that how we have structured um, our, our sales organization is there's key people that are responsible for key pieces of the business. Um, you know, we have a strategic account manager who owns a marketplace business. Um, we have a, um, a vice president of sales who uh, owns the retail business. And um, then we have a senior commercial manager who owns that commercial side of the business. And so although we all definitely work shoulder to shoulder and we cross pollinate, right? And so something that the commercial guy is working on will inform something that the Amazon guy is working on and back and forth and all together. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, it's the people who own their respective business unit um, that will ultimately be held accountable for the performance of that business unit. Um, but we openly collaborate to come up with those things. But uh, I do empower each one of those business unit owners uh, to to have the final alignment on decision making. Right. One of my pet peeves is as a leader when somebody comes to me with a problem, they just dump it on my desk. In this environment, when there's an issue like that, how is that, you know, how do people ask or how do they um you know, start that process of collaboration? You know, that's a good question. Yeah, don't come to me with your problems. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, unless um, you have a solution that goes with it, like, you know, here, here's yeah. the problem, here's what I'm thinking, how we can solve it, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. And like so many uh, people, and I remember when we first started building and it was just me and a couple of guys, right? And right. we were out there hustling. Um, and a lot of times I was finding because I had been here, you know, and I started the the restart of the sales uh, organization, um, they would just come to me and say, hey, I, I've, I've got this problem. Like, what do I do? And I remember I had to just like harp on that idea of like, I please, you do need to bring me your challenges and your issues. So open door, absolutely 100%. But I want you to, before you just come right away directly to me, I want you to take a beat. I want you to think about this, have some creative, critical time um, with it, sit with it, and, and then come to me. I understand that sometimes after doing that, you might not have a suggestion, you might not have a potential solution, and that's okay but you can tell me what you thought through and that you did not come come up with anything and then come to me. It's just important to take that moment, take that beat, give it some thought and then come. But it's definitely, everybody has a direct line to me, whether they're the junior person in the department or whether they're the most senior person in the department, because I believe in that creative collaboration. Right, how do you manage egos in that environment? Because I imagine, especially if someone's new to that environment, I imagine that's a big adjustment for some people. We so not everyone is a fit within this type of a culture, and that is a hundred percent true. Um, and so, if you have you know 
that kind of killer mentality. And that works really great in some sales organizations. And there are high performers that are that way. You may, you may end up just being highly frustrated <laughs> within our organization the way we run it that way. Um, but I do believe in the end that we do get um, better uh, performance and more capacity out of people um, working in that collaborative uh, nature. And so our culture, again, it's not for everybody, um, but we do believe that it's better for everyone who it is good for. Oh, I believe, you know, to me, I can, I'm sitting here thinking about this as you're talking and part of being a team is, you know, that there you've got your good days, your bad days, but when you're having those bad days, you there's other people in the team that have your back, you know, that you can rely on to, to help you, you know, come out of whatever that issue is and keep moving forward. But if you're solo, pure solo, you know, hunter killer, and you're out there on your own, no one else is around, that's a lot lonelier place to be. Yeah. Yeah, and if you have a team of those people, yeah. right? Yeah. Then not only because so much of sales, you know, I, I I do think in terms of sales is you got you have to go out there. You are the hunter, no matter what, even in our right. team mentality, oh, yeah. you, know, you yeah. still go out and then you come back to the safety of the village. Right. Yeah. But if you go out, you know, you're out there. You got to fight so hard. It's not easy to convince somebody to spend money <laughs> with something that you're trying to get them. They may not have wanted to begin with. Right. I mean, that right. that's essentially what sales is. Hopefully yeah. they do want it. But um it's tough, right? And then you come back. But if you have a team of people that are killers like that, then you know you go out there and you're fighting and then you come back and you have to fight and defend, yeah. right? And so, um, you know, I, I want to create that, you know, it sounds kind of cliche, but it is. I want to create a more of a family kind of safe space that, that energizes us, recharges us, that we can go back out there kind of into the sales world and we can expend all of our energy out there fighting to get sales to come back and then find that that safety again. Yeah, that's awesome. What's the hardest part about your role of CRO? Um, I would say uh, seeing the future. <laughs> um, you don't have a crystal a ball? I know. Nobody has that? a clear crystal ball. You got lost in the mail or something? Yeah. I'm still waiting for Apple to come out with that product, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, that's the most difficult thing um, is to, you know, project out, um, understand that, and not just um, see what could be, but then uh, develop that path uh, from where we are today to where we need to go tomorrow. Um it's almost easier to find the pivoting uh, along the way than it is to write the plan originally. Um, right. So I definitely feel like that is the, the biggest challenge that I face. I really appreciate you sharing that because I think everyone in your role has that same issue, but not many will admit it, you know, because that is the yeah. toughest part of being the leader is someone's got to create that vision for the future where we're going and put that stake in the ground. And some people, I, I think a lot of people just throw mud at the wall and like, well, let's do this. And, you know, we'll go yeah. in this direction and boy, I hope it works. Yeah. Hope, hope is not a strategy. <laughs> no, hope is not a strategy. Yeah. So how do you marry that, you know, that in that role of CRO of, you know, I have to create that vision but how, what's your philosophy or how do you do that where it's not just a leap of faith, 
and and you know 100% hope you know what what's your process for working through that struggle yeah so i mean i think there is a creative element to it um but then there's also the administrative element to it um first uh i've always been kind of a creative person um and so for me to imagine and kind of daydream if you will uh, that's never been a problem for me um so coming up with certain scenarios of what could be uh, that's not maybe the difficult part um i think you know coming up with uh the nuts and bolts the brick by brick of how to build something to that um that is the, that is the challenge right that's that's where the value gets added by by a cro um or any leader for that matter um cuz people can daydream there's lots of daydreamers out there that may not be adding value um and so really how I go about it is I take apart uh, the business and I look at all of the elements and then I try to put those things back together. And always, no matter what, you have what your vision is. And when you put those building blocks back together, there's a delta between where you can see to and where you need to get to. And at the end of the day, that delta needs to be realistically bridged. Otherwise, you're not uh, you're not working in the well, realm of reality, yeah. and so uh, that that is the difficult part it is is what that bridge is. The other uh, thing I would say is um, I, you know, here here's a little learn from my mistakes. I'll you know uh, here see underneath the table a little bit um, behind the door. Uh, you know, there's been times where I've done exactly what I just told told you. I, you know, lay it out kind of here's the the map of that. Um, okay, well, here's the path. It's still a realistic delta. But what I failed to realize is I have to nail that path of all of those bricks that I built. I have to hit it just perfect in order to get to where the delta is realistically achievable. And uh, I've learned over time that you need to have multiple paths in order to achieve that kind of brick by brick building part. Right. So that you can get to that achievable delta, because you still might achieve the delta, but if you haven't made the path just right, um, you'll end up coming up short. Um, so multiple paths to achieving what you know, and then making sure that uh, you're you're kind of gut checking and double checking that your delta is 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 achievable and re realistic. Now that's that's fascinating. That uh, I think a lot of people fall into that trap of like, okay, I figured it out, here's our path. But there's always so much risk and there's so much unknown in any market, it doesn't matter what you're trying to sell. That that one thing goes wrong, then you're in pivot mode, trying to find those alternate paths, right? I mean, that's your yeah. only option. Yeah, there's, um, there's variability and then there's stretch and most people diminish variability and they focus on, well, what's my stretch goal? Right. But if you're not achieving and hitting and taking into account the variability in the plan, yeah. you can be to the downside and you'll never realistically achieve the stretch. Yeah. Um, what about building out your team and getting your team aligned with this vision that you're creating? Have you, what, have you, do you have any significant issues in, in creating that alignment towards your vision? Yeah, again, I believe we have a competitive advantage the way we built our sales organization and having that collaborative culture uh, because I involve um, everybody with, within the, uh, the process. 
And so we don't, you know, we don't operate by, you know, I, I come down from on high with the decree and this is what we're going to do. And what's it, you know, what's the context of this thing? Um, you know, I'm, I'm engaging in conversations uh, with people along the way. Um, I'm getting their feedback, their insight, because they're going to know, as well as I know the businesses, and I've run each one of these business units myself, you know, they know where we're at better than I ever will, because they're 100% focused on that. So I, I want their value. I want their voice. Um, and so I solicit that in the planning process. And so once we have our goals, once we have our vision, once we have our future destinations, it's never a surprise to anybody because they've been coming along the way in that uh, developing development journey. So you're not just shoulder to shoulder solving problems. You're shoulder to shoulder in creating that vision and developing that path forward and, and identifying the alternate paths as well. Yeah, I look at everybody within our sales organization as business partners. And something that I do try to drive home is, you know, we're not out here trying to slap deals together. We're not trying to just get some sales. We're trying to build a scalable business here. And so I want each one of my salespeople to think as, uh, as a business partner. I want them to think in terms of, you know, operating profit, not just gross sales or even gross margin, right? Um, and that, that, again, creates a very different kind of perspective and somebody who's approaching the business in a different manner. And I think that's why we've, had set, we've been able to uh, self-sustain our own growth. Um, to date, we've raised very little capital. And I think it's because we have a whole bunch of little business owners out there running around thinking about, um, you know, uh, the, the business as if it was their own. Do you have problems identifying people to be part of your sales team that maybe just like, hey, this, what you're talking about, that just isn't for me? Or is it, do you get people that are just chomping at the bit to join your team? Um. I think the um, I think when people hear about what we're doing, um, it's either I don't want any of that or wow, that sounds really refreshing. So I think it's fairly polarizing and that, sadly, <laughs> but true, our compensation packages are going to be really what, you know, turn someone on or turn someone off. And so we compensate in very in a very different manner than what uh, a salesperson is is typically um, used to, um, right? Because in, in just in how you compensate somebody, you know, you could say you have as collaborative team as you can say, and everyone works together and communicates and everything, but it, but I'm solely, you know, commissioned on what I go out and kill and bring back you're going to have people that are going to fight. You're not going to have different accounts that defer to one another because they understand the greater good here is what we're doing. And so we compensate in a different way. And so that foundation is solid. Um, and it's not for everybody, right. um, but that is a good governor, a good filter, right? I love as soon as someone comes like in, yeah. I'd love having that governor, that filter, that one thing that, hey, this is a little bit off. Maybe you're not used to because it's, to me, it really makes sure like, hey, we have to make sure you're totally aligned with what we're doing here. And so if you have something like that, that acts as that switch or that filter, where it's a yes, no type thing, either you fit or you don't. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's like uh, Zappos, where it's like, hey, we're gonna take you through the training, and then we're gonna offer you a chunk of money to leave. Exactly. Yeah. You know? And, it's like and it starts at the top, it starts yeah. at the top down. So I'm not I'm not putting that on my sales team and then treating myself differently. And our president is compensated much in the same way that 
the the rest of the organization is as well. Yeah. Um, so it's not we're not treating people differently. You know, we're leading by example. Yeah, that's awesome. So talking about leading example, that's one of my favorite topics when it comes to being a leader. To meet the leaders out front, how do you establish yourself in your role as that person out front? Um, again, I, I I take responsibility. The buck does stop um, with me. Um, I also don't manage or lead by consensus. Um, I lead by alignment. And Brundell as a whole has a great culture of alignment. And what the different, you know, alignment is a nuance that allows for dissenting voices. But at the end of the day, we got to move forward. We got to make a decision. And so even if there is conflict um, within my team, um, I don't have a problem stepping up and, and making those clear decisions and providing clear direction. Um, and so it's not, you know, it could be a trap in that shoulder to shoulder mentality of we're all buddies and we're all in this together and I want everyone to like me. Um, but sometimes I have to make those decisions that aren't super popular. I've taken into consideration everyone's voices. We have collaborated and it may fall, you know, contrary to the way you want, but we got to go in this direction because it's, you know, for the greater good. Um, and it's just about, you know, bringing people uh, along. You know, I was told uh, very early in my leadership development, I did a, a leadership internship um, for a couple of years. And I remember one of the greatest lessons I learned, it was from a, quite a large organization. And the leader in that organization said, hey, we turn this ship um, so that nobody falls off. Because if you think of like a big, you know, cruise ship, and if that thing turns super fast, you know, the velocity of that turn, a lot, a lot of people will go overboard. Um, but what I'm trying to accomplish here is people in it for the long haul. And so if we make turns and pivots and changes, I want to slowly do that so that I bring everybody with me because um, there's a, a lot of value in longevity. Oh, I agree. I agree. And it's fortunate you just don't see that uh, too much anymore. Um, what about failure? Failure is such a common thread in sales. It's like just, you know, the yin and yang of sales. How do you leverage fail, a failure as a uh, learning opportunity within your organization? Yeah, so uh, failures come in small ways and in large ways. Um, and so, you know, I always, uh, you know, elicit feedback. And so small failures would be, you know, in a sales meeting and getting feedback from, you know, the salesperson that was even with me as the CRO, I'm asking like, Hey, what did I do good in that meeting? What did I do poorly in that meeting? Um, large failures. It's about the team getting, you know, together and, um, you know, looking at, you know, where, where did we go wrong here? Cause ultimately you can look at the, the end result and you can say, wow, you know, we screwed up. We did something wrong. But if you can pinpoint where in the process things started to go wrong, let's get back to let's get back to that point, right? Because that then you can you can actually fix it, and you're not treating um, you know an ailment; you're actually treating the actual sickness or the actual problem. Um, so, I mean, it, it is it's about you know making sure that you're open and honest with each other. Again, um, I think that you know idea meritocracy, uh, being able to show your idea's weakness is actually a strength in, in the person to be able to do that and have the confidence to do that. Um, and so even when you're looking back at those failures, um, being honest enough, even as a leader, to say, this is where I see we failed or where I failed as a leader. 
what do you you all, my team, think as well, and you know facilitate that feedback. Um, yeah. That's how you could actually extract as much value out of that failure as possible. If you just try to shine it up, you've you've lost any benefit that you ever could have gotten out of that. Yeah, I agree. CRM, do you love it or do you hate it? Loaded question. Mm-hmm. Um, as a CRO, I should say that I love it, but I have to be honest and I have to say I hate it. <laughs> yeah. What's What do you hate about CRM? That's actually my favorite answer. So yeah, <laughs> gives us more to talk um, about. Yeah, yeah. Um, what I what the thing I just like most about it is the idea. You know, I, I put information in and it just poof, it's gone forever. Um, and I think CRMs come a long way with a lot of automation tools that can bring things back up to the surface um, that may have been forgotten. Um, but yeah, that that is my my biggest bone to pick and where I see a lot of excuses uh, from salespeople. Um, no. Well, I put it in the system. I forgot, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. What's your why for your CRM? So if I'm a salesperson, I come to you, I'm like, you know, why are we even using this? What's your why? Um, the why would be opposite to why I dislike it. Um, and it is about those automate, uh, automation tools. So that your short memory, you don't have to rely on that. Um, and you can actually uh, scale your memory by putting it in the machine uh, and have it, you know, help you to reach out to people. Um, I the, the biggest value that I see in CRM is uh, extensive note taking, right? But that has to be good, good you know, good data in, good data out kind of a thing. Um, But I see that that's one of the largest leverage points is something for an automated, you know, memory, and then having that crystal clear uh, ability to uh, have have notes in there um, so that you can pick something up at a moment's notice. Even if somebody calls you, Mm -hmm. um, you can look someone up super quick, um, have right where you left off the last conversation, and that person feels valued on the other end of the line. um, Because at the end of the day, it's, you know, sales is people to people and that's what matters. Yeah. How does CRM support your sales process at Brundell? Um, you know, I think we probably could do a much better job of having it support our process. Uh, right now it's a, basically a central repository of uh, information. It's mainly a database. Um, and I think we could probably use it in a much more effective way. Yeah. A lot of companies I talk with, obviously that's my world struggle with that. Do you have a thought as to why CRM, you know, so many CRMs aren't really aligned with the sales process of, of the companies that are using them? We need, we need, we need somebody who is equally as good at sales as at technology to be able to be the person who to make the perfect CRM. But um, I do have hope actually for, uh, you know, the future of AI um, being, you know, embedded into, into CRM um, to make a, to, to be able to anticipate, because I think that's part of the problem. I mean, salespeople, they're busy, right? Yeah. And like I just said, it's a people to people business. And so for a salesperson to stop and have to like, you know, input or do something, I think that anticipatory, you know, algorithmic something goodness um, in there, I think, you know, could be the future where it turns it from, you know, input output database kind of a situation to maybe more of that kind of living, um, you know, not just automation, but anticipation, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that is, it's such a common theme that, I mean, you said it like the first a salesperson to stop. No, they shouldn't have to stop to interact with any piece of technology because it's like then now I've got this anchor that's slowing me down and uh, it should be something that's enabling them, moving them forward, empowering them to do more, not this anchor I'm dragging behind you. Um, so, well, we are at our time here, uh, Parker, on, on Sales Lead Dog. I really appreciate you coming on. If people listening to this episode want to reach out and connect with you, maybe learn more about Brondell or just connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, absolutely. LinkedIn's probably the best place. You know, Parker Benton, uh, search me up. You'll find me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Um, we're going to have Parker's information, his LinkedIn profile, etc., in our show notes. So be sure to check that out. You can get that in pellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog, where you will find not only this episode, but all our episodes of sales lead dog. So be sure to check that out. Parker, thank you so much for coming on sales lead dog. And I just want to thank or uh, welcome you to the sales lead dog pack. Awesome. I appreciate it. It's been great having this chat and thanks uh, for inviting me onto the show. You bet. As we end this discussion on sales lead dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes on social media. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube, and you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. Sales lead dog is supported by Impeller CRM, delivering objectively better CRM for business, guaranteed.